Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main Hey YA podcast, we'll bring you a short-form podcast of YA talk across a wide range of topics. I'm Tears of Price, and today I'm going to be chatting about two YA adaptations of the fairy tale known most commonly as The Wild Swans. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for? Give the gift of TBR for Valentine's Day. BookRite's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or just recommendations by email as a one-time gift or as a year-long subscription, and then sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them and their options for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give your Valentine their own personal book concierge. And if you have to shop at the last minute, TBR can be delivered to your booze inbox on whatever day you schedule it for. That's mytbr.co slash gift. All right, so like most fairy tales... The Wild Swans has many, many iterations throughout time and history, and it has been known by many different titles. Sometimes it's called the Six Swans, sometimes it's called the Seven Ravens. Um, it's been known as the Twelve Brothers. I think its official designation in like the index of fairy tales and folklore are the brothers who turn into birds. So the Wild Swans was a tale published by Hans Christian Andersen, which is probably how many of today's Western readers know the story. I did not know about this story until I was in high school because I'll be real, there's not a Disney adaptation. So I didn't hear about it until later. And it's kind of, you know, not the darkest tale, but it's a little bit darker. So the basics are pretty much always the same, though. There's a kingdom, and in this kingdom is a king who has been widowed. He has one daughter and multiple sons, usually between like six to 12 sons. And he also has a new wife. So the princess and her brothers are cursed by the wicked stepmother who has magic in some way. And usually the king doesn't know that she has magic. So the brothers are cursed to turn into birds, usually swans. And the princess, meanwhile, is banished from the kingdom. And she cannot speak at all, usually because the curse has either taken her voice or she's cursed so that if she utters a single sound, one of her brothers will die. And the princess is also usually disguised in some way, so nobody knows that she's the princess. So she spends her time searching for her brothers, longing to break the curse. Um, sometimes she finds them. Sometimes her brothers whisk her away to another kingdom. But basically, the only way for her to break the curse is by harvesting nettles and then breaking that plant down to its fibrous stalks and spinning it into yarn that can be knit into shirts for each of her seven brothers. And once she manages to knit as many shirts for as many brothers that she has, um, and she places them over the swans, they will, you know, return into humans. So this task is extremely painful, and it's arduous, and the princess isn't allowed to make a single sound or accept help. And at some point in her journey, she usually meets a young man or a prince from another land who falls desperately in love with her. 
But it's not a fairy tale because, of course, the fact that she has this really weird task and she doesn't speak makes people suspect that she's a witch. So usually the story sort of culminates in her being burned at the stake or being sent to be executed. And in the story, she's always working on the shirts for her brother until the very last minute. And just as she's about to be condemned to death, she throws them over her brothers who appear as swans. And all of the shirts but one are complete. So the sleeve on the last shirt is too short or incomplete in some way. And that one usually falls on like her youngest or her most favorite brother. And it does turn him back into a man, but there's usually a consequence. And usually that consequence is that he has a swan's wing for one arm. So they're able to break the curse. They're able to defeat their wicked stepmother. um, But there's a little bit of a cost to this whole ordeal. So I first heard about this fairy tale in high school when I read Daughter of the Forest by Juliette Marillier which is not a YA book, but it is a really incredible fantasy novel that had a pretty big impact on me as a reader. Um, it was probably one of the first, like, officially adult fantasy novels that I read, like, aside from Lord of the Rings, because I, I read a lot of, like, young adult and fantasy for young readers. But somehow I stumbled across this book and it was first published in 1989. It pretty much launched Juliet Merlier's career. It's the first in a trilogy, although the first book is just a retelling of this fairy tale that I've just described. And it's retold against the backdrop of like Celtic legend and the Britain's expansion on the British Isles. And I will warn anybody who is interested in picking this up, content warning for sexual assault and for animal death. I haven't read this book in ages, but I did look it up before getting on this podcast and I saw those warnings and I just wanted to pass those on. But I just remember being really enchanted by the fact that this was like a really complex and in-depth fairy tale retelling with just gorgeous scenery and lots of subplots. And I had never read anything like it before. Not saying that it's like totally unique to the fantasy canon, but um, I really loved it. So because of that, this fairy tale has always stuck with me over the many years. And especially just because, you know, this is not like a complete three tasks within a set short period of time. And then you'll break the curse like... The princess in this story suffers and she goes through incredible pain to be able to break this curse. And in every, almost every iteration I've read, like it's, this is like a very long process. And I have never, you know, harvested nettles and spun them into yarn to knit into shirts, but I am a knitter and I, you know, have been interested in spitting. And so I know that it like, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. So oftentimes the princess is, you know, working at this task for just months or years. So yeah, this story's always stuck with me. And last year in 2021, we saw not one, but two YA retellings of this tale, which was really exciting. And of course, I had to pick them up and read them both right away. So I'm going to tell you about them and recommend them. They are so interesting because they are obviously inspired by the same fairy tale, but they take it in different directions. And both of these books are very different. So if you like YA fantasy, if you like fairy tale retellings, 
I think you're really going to like these books. So the first one I'm going to talk about is A Rush of Wings by Laura E. Weymouth. And this one is really great. It's um, sort of historical fantasy set in Scotland. And it is historical fantasy set in Scotland. It's about Rowena Winthrop, who comes from humble beginnings. She is the daughter of a fisherman. And, you know, she lives in this tiny village on the coastline. And there's nothing, you know, very royal or regal about her. But her mother does have the craft, which is what they kind of refer to as the ability to work magic. And Rowena has known from a young age that she also has the craft. And it is tradition that her mother teach her how to um, yield it. However, at the very beginning of the book, um, it's made obvious that... Her mother doesn't trust her with this magic. And it's in part because Rowena is very impulsive. She's got a hot temper. You know, she is somebody that basically her mom looks at her and really worries that if she teaches her this magic, Rowena will potentially misuse it or get herself in trouble because she'll lose her temper. And so this actually creates a lot of tension and resentment between mother and daughter because Rowena just wants to learn and follow in her mother's footsteps and her mother doesn't trust her. And Rowena doesn't even completely understand why. So the book begins with her mother on the cliffside overlooking the waves and her mother's frantic because she can sense that something dangerous and dark is coming. And Rowena doesn't know how to help her because she doesn't know how to use the craft. And they have this moment where her mother realizes like, if I'm going to survive, I, you know, I've got to let you in and I'm going to teach you something. But of course, once that happens, her mother falls to her death off the cliff and is basically eaten by a sea monster. And this is not a spoiler because this all happens within like the first 20 pages of the book. And Rowena is horrified, but also she can't exactly go back to her father and her brothers and say, our mother just got eaten by a sea monster. So she has to kind of lie and say that she was swept out to sea. Everybody assumes that she's dead. Everyone's devastated, of course. But then a couple weeks later... Her mother returns. Only Rowetta knows this is not her mother because she saw her mother be killed and eaten, basically. And whatever this person is and whoever it is, it's a monster wearing her mother's skin. And she is very, very freaked out by this. But of course, again, she can't tell people like that's not our mother because everybody's just like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? Um, Of course it is. And so it becomes very obvious very quickly that this sea monster posing as Rowena's mother basically just wants to do as much harm as possible. And the fact that Rowena knows the truth is not going to fly. She tries to tell her brothers the truth and the sea monster ends up cursing her brothers and this boy that has washed up upon the beach that Rowena has found, who's asked for her help. Um, she curses them to become swans. So in this version, Rowena has three brothers and this stray boy named Gowan. And they are kind of thrown together in this horrible curse where she doesn't have a voice, her brothers are swans, and she doesn't know how to use her magic to rework the curse. So she has to leave her village, and she and her brothers and Gawain set out for Inverness, and they are going to try to find somebody who can teach Rowena how to break this curse. But of course, as I mentioned, this 
is a historical mystery set in Scotland. So in this time period, the British are trying to take control of Scotland. The Highlanders are trying to revolt. It's not going very well. So this is a very dangerous landscape for her to be traversing. There's a lot of, you know, fear of witchcraft, but then there's also lots of talks of saints and her journey is not very safe, but part of her journey is learning to come into her own magic and also understanding the power she wields and that she has the choice to wield it for good or wield it for not so good. So I really, really loved this adaptation. I loved the historical elements. I thought that the language was absolutely beautiful. It's beautifully written. The cover is gorgeous. It's got a great romance. It's got really great, strong sort of family story as well. So that is A Rush of Wings by Laura E. Weymouth. I highly recommend it. And the next book I'm going to talk about is Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. So this book is inspired by the wild swans, but it's also inspired by other sort of East Asian fantasy you know, elements and fairy tales. If you head over to Elizabeth Lim's Instagram page, she's got a great um, little video talking about how she was also inspired by a Japanese fairy tale, which I had never heard of before. And it's about a girl who wears a bowl over her head as part of her dying mother's last wish so that people won't see how beautiful she is and take advantage of her. And of course, you know, she is... Um, sort of cast out and considered this, you know, strange, sort of slightly menacing character because she's got this bowl over her head. But a young lord falls in love with her because of her kindness and her grace. And on their wedding day, the bowl breaks and is transformed into jewels. Um, so that elements of that fairy tale are also woven into Six Crimson Cranes, um, which is pretty cool. So this is a retelling about Shiori, who is the daughter of an emperor, and she has six brothers. One day she is running away from her betrothal ceremony. She ends up meeting a dragon, um, and dragons are very rare in her land of Kiata because magic has kind of been forbidden, and demons have been locked away in the mountains. But she finds that she can sort of secretly wield magic, and she and this dragon strike up this friendship. Well, through this friendship, she learns that her father's consort, her stepmother, can also wield magic, and she becomes very curious about her stepmother because nobody knows where she comes from. And so she follows her one day and discovers that her stepmother is very powerful, can wield a lot of magic, and she gets a glimpse of her stepmother's true face. It's very terrifying. Um, the stepmother catches her, and because Shiori has been caught spying and now knows something that she's not supposed to, the stepmother curses her brothers to turn into um, cranes with scarlet crowns, and Shiori is cursed to wear this wooden bowl over her head, so nobody knows who she is. And she also cannot speak because any... Um, sound that she utters means that one of her brothers will die. So she's banished from the palace and she ends up just kind of wandering the countryside looking for a way to break this curse, looking for a way to be reunited with her brothers. Along the way, she discovers that if she steals this plant called Starstroke from a mountain guarded by dragons, she could potentially weave a net that might capture the source of her stepmother's power and break the curse. But of course, you know, it's never quite that simple. Starstroke 
is very painful to touch, which is why humans don't normally steal it. She ends up um, sort of running into the young man that she's been betrothed to since a young age. She's always disliked him and hated him, but he helps her out and doesn't realize who she is. So, of course, that means that she has to bring the curse, but she's also second-guessing everything that she thought about him and about her life and what she wanted. Um, This is just really great book. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to give away anything, but I really, really enjoyed Shiori's journey. I liked the magic system in this a lot. It was just a really interesting and fun take on this old fairy tale, and it brought in a lot of new and exciting elements. So that is Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. And I really hope that you either pick that one up or A Rush of Wings. I really enjoyed both of these fantasies. So that is it for me today. Thank you so much for our sponsor for making the show possible. Um, You can follow me on social media. I hang out on Twitter and Instagram at at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And then thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for making Heiwei sound great. We will be back again next week with a full-length podcast episode. But until then, happy reading. Happy reading.